If you have your Bibles, will you please turn to the book of Philippians? And this morning, we'll continue our studies through the book of Philippians and break into chapter 4 by the end of it. Chapter 3, verse number 17 is where we will begin. I'm going to read the scripture for you and then we will just uh, we'll pray and just dive right into uh, the sermon that we have together today. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Our Father, we thank You for Your words. They are beautiful, wonderful words of life. They are the milk and the meat. They are the sweet honey. They are the water to a thirsty soul. This morning, we come to drink deeply. To not only hear them read, but to try to understand them so that we might know what You have said and commanded so that we might obey. So would You not only quench our thirst, but give us life. Satisfy our hunger and use this, these, these, uh, this milk and meat, this bread, this honey to give us the strength to live for You. Jesus said that we would not live by bread alone, but by every word. These words then, Lord, we desire and we need, we crave. Speak, O Lord, as we come to You to receive the food of Your holy Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul has been mentioning examples in the previous chapter. We were looking at those. We're looking at those again this morning. Paul has spoken of Christian examples that the Philippians need to have and to follow. Most, first and foremost, Jesus Christ. We see in, in uh, the, the Christ hymn of chapter 2, Paul looks at Christ and says, this is the mind that you need to have. The mind that was in Christ Jesus and, and the humility and the, 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 the laying down of His life and, 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 and giving for other people. Then he gives Christian human examples in, uh, in, the, in the persons of Timothy and Epaphroditus. <clears throat> in chapter 3, Paul has uh, kind of addressed this, this danger of trusting in worldly accomplishments and credentials. Paul listed his own and said, I have probably the best resume you can have, and yet it's just a, a garbage list. I don't really want this list. I don't care about this anymore, and you shouldn't either. All we have is Christ. All we need is Christ. Christ is enough. 
And then last week, as we, we looked at the previous verses, 12 through 16, we see that maturity is not a thing that all of a sudden happens. Just like in, in, our, in our physical bodies, our bodies are not mature overnight. Uh, you might have noticed one day that you have a little, uh, guys, hopefully, you have a little uh, uh, fuzz on your upper lip. Uh, but it didn't happen just all of a sudden. You might have noticed it all of a sudden, but it's been going on for quite a while. Uh, parents of children, we don't see our children growing until grandma comes from out of town and says, wow, look how much they've grown. Or maybe you see a picture from a year ago, or you see that everyone's got that spot in their house where we, we, we measure the children, and we, we see how much they've grown, and wow, they've grown so many inches in, 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 in uh, the last month or, or not. well, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? Uh, six months or a year. Um, but we don't see that overnight. These things are, are, are things that happen over time. It is a process. And in the same way, the spiritual maturity, it comes gradually. It comes by the work of the Spirit, but it is something that is not going to be done in this life, but it is something to which we are pressing on. Well, now Paul returns to, in light of this, to a human example uh, explanation. There is a significance to having human examples, Christian examples, with, uh, before the people. And it is important that they have the right ones. It's going to take a little bit of, of, of introduction before we actually get into, uh, into the, the actual verses. But think about it for a moment. The Philippians a largely Gentile church, if we go back to Acts 16, and we see and we remember how it started, it was not a uh, heavily Jewish area. There was not a synagogue there. So it's, it's probably uh, safe to assume that the Philippian church was a predominant Gentile church. If you grew up Gentile, then the Jewish culture was foreign to you. Specifically, the Jewish Bible was foreign to you. That wasn't anything that you, you cared. It, they, they, the, the Gentiles of Philippi probably knew as much about the Hebrew Bible as we do about uh, the, the, the teachings of some other religion. Maybe you know one or two facts, but you don't really study it. You don't know all the stories. You, don't, you haven't read the Bibles, a Koran uh, the, the, um, uh, or a Book of Mormon or something like that. You've not read those things because that's not part of your your, your upbringing, and you, you don't see how that bears any relevance to your life. Gentiles the same way. Would, they would have had no reason to read the Jewish, old, what we call the Old Testament, because that was not part of their culture. That was not part of their life. Well, now they're in Christ. Now they have heard the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. They are beginning to follow Jesus. How are they going to do this? How are they going to live in ways that please God? Well, they're going to need people to show them how. They're going to need human examples. They're supposed to follow the apostles' teaching. But that's not all been written down yet the way it is for us. We have the apostles' teaching in our hands. They didn't have a Bible in those days. Not a completed one. Paul's letters hadn't even been finished written at this time. How were the, 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 the Philippian Christians and the early church for that matter, how were they supposed to think about these things and respond? Is this new religion of Christianity just supposed to mean that you just think differently now? Is that all that there is? 
Are you just supposed to believe a set of facts and, all right, got that box checked, now I can go back to doing what I want to do? Is that all that it is? No, it's not. There's more. Because, and, and this, is, this is important to understand as we go through the passage, how you think is going to affect the way that you live. And vice versa, how you live is going to reveal how you think. And so, the thinking matters. We've seen that all through Philippians. How you think really matters. How you think about Christ, what you think about God, what you think about yourself. All of these things matter. And the way that you think about these things is going to change and affect and make a difference in the way that you live. So you say you think this. You say you believe this. How do I know? I look at how you live. And if, and if I can figure out how you're living, then I can tell you what you really think. Okay, so this is, this is a, an important um, relationship that we need to have figured out. And when we talk about the way that you think, we're talking about your values. We're talking about your morals. We're talking about your ambitions, your motives. All of these things. So when we talk about being a Christian, we're not just saying you need to think a certain way. It is also that implied then that you are going to live a certain way based on a new kind of thinking. Now, we have the Scripture. We can look at it and say, okay, well, I'm supposed to think this way and Paul said this, and Paul said do it this way, and I have the Philippian example, and the Ephesian example, and Thessalonians, Corinthians, all these different ones, plus I have other people besides Paul that wrote. We stand upon centuries of Christian writers who have, who have studied the Scriptures and have, and have expressed in writing their own understanding and shared their wisdom with us. And as the old saying goes, we stand upon the shoulders of giants. We didn't get here on our own. But think about the early church. How are they supposed to grow? They're going to grow through examples. One, one statement kind of crossed my, crossed my uh, attention this week, and it stuck with me. Can you imagine trying to live the Christian life without the book of Romans? How much doctrine do we get from just that one particular letter? Now, try to understand the Christian life without the book of Romans. I think many of us would say, I don't think you can. Someone had to. Paul had to. Because Paul's the one who wrote it. And the Philippians didn't have it when he wrote this letter, and yet they were still supposed to understand these truths. How are they going to do that? They're going to do it by Christian examples. One writer said that these, these Christians relied for ethical direction upon the living examples of those who brought them the Gospel. Specifically, Paul, Timothy, but the others that they knew of, the twelve, Peter, James, John, all of those who would have traveled, who would have shared their doctrine in Acts 2, when the early church began started, it said that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. So the practical application of Christianity would have been exhibited, displayed in Christian examples. How am I supposed to respond in this situation that I'm in? Whatever situation it happens to be. What does... Christianity look like in real life? I know I have the facts. I know I've read the, 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 the letter from so-and-so, but what does this look like particularly? 
Because each of the letters in the New Testament were not written to cover the whole Christian experience. They were written for specific purposes. And so we have the entire canon of Scripture to, to look through and draw principles from, but they didn't have those things. So how are they going to do that? Yes, you're supposed to look to Christ, as Paul has said numerous times, but also, Paul knew, they needed human examples. Now, just a little bit of a, of a technical side to maybe help you understand how we're, how we're seeing this. So we'll take just a moment and, and look at, the, at the, the nuts and the bolts of this passage. Um, about a year ago, or maybe it was a little bit longer than that, everything seems to run together these days. Um, we, I did a Sunday school class, and we did a little bit of Bible arcing. And those of you who would know that phrase, you might, know, uh, you might remember one or two terms that were used there. It doesn't matter if you don't know all of that. But I just want to explain what, what, we're, what we're looking at here. In this passage, I want you to notice, first of all, look at verse number 18. And you see, in, at least my Bible begins with the word for. This word for is an interesting, it's a helpful word, and we can use the word because here. Now, if you'll skip over to chapter 4 and look at verse number 1, and we see another important hinge word, and that's the word therefore. As we've said many times, anytime you see the word therefore, you want to look and see what is therefore. But these two words connect the three passages that we have. Verse, uh, the three part, parts of this passage. Verse 17 is the one. And then verses 18 through 21, the end of chapter 3, is the second part. And then verse number 1 of chapter 4 is the third part. And verses 18 through 21 are what we would call the ground for this whole argument. This is the foundation. This is the reason for everything else that's going to be said. Or in our case, the two uh, outside verses, the, the, the bookend verses, verse 17, verse number 1. Those two are supported by the ground. And so we want to understand what the ground is, and then we can build on that. So when I say, this is the truth, therefore, here's something you can do with it. This is the ground, this is the inference, or this is the, 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 the thing that you can do with it. And what we'll see here is that in these two outside book, uh, bookend verses, we have our commands. We have our imperatives. Uh, look back at verse number 17. He says, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So, two commands there. And then look at verse number 1 of chapter 4. He says, Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. So, we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning looking at this ground. Verses 18 to 21. And when we've got that covered, then we'll go back to verse 17 and then look at verse number 1 as well. So uh, we'll start with this ground and consider the commands uh, that, uh, consider the ground that the commands are built on. So why do we need Christian examples? That's kind of the, 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 the theme of our, of our uh, looking at this morning. What's the point of having Christian examples? And really, there's, there's, two, there's two answers to that. First of all, because there are some really bad examples out there. Why do we need good ones? Because there are a lot of bad ones. Look at verse number 18, if you will. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This is the because uh, uh, for the first command why you need to follow specific examples because there's a lot of bad ones out there. Now, Paul is not specifically referring to bad Christians who are behaving badly. 
he is speaking of people, as he calls them, enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, this is nothing new. This is not a new danger. This is, in fact, the danger he has warned them many times before. He says there, uh, I, have, uh, I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears. So this has been a continual warning, as well as an emotionally charged warning. There's danger here. Be careful, because there are people going around They are deceiving. They are uh, leading people astray. And here is the big description. They are enemies. Not necessarily your enemies. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And if you're a believer, then an enemy of the cross is your enemy. But they're not there to attack you. They're there to attack and oppose the cross of Christ. So he describes them in a couple of ways, and we'll take a moment and and try to look at that and understand, but several of them are are very plain. I don't know if Paul is referring to the Judaizers that he was talking about in the beginning of chapter 3. That's possible. It's also possible that there was another group of people. It's not like there's only one danger out there, right? There's a lot of well, there's one danger looking in a lot of different ways. And just as it is today, there's not one bad religion out there. There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of bad ideas. And it doesn't matter if you go to this bad idea or this bad idea, you're still in danger. And Paul says you need to be aware of what's out there because there's a lot of bad stuff out there. So he describes them in four ways. Who are these enemies? Well, he says that they are headed for destruction. That would be their destination. That's their end. That's where they're going. That what's going to happen to these guys? It is for sure they will be destroyed. They will suffer destruction. They will not win. So if you're thinking about following them, then you know what's going to happen to you as well. Their end is destruction. Secondly, in regard to their worship, he says that their God is their belly. Now that's an interesting, interesting little phrase there. Their God is their belly. Literally, you know, they're navel, they're, they're, they're navel gazers. They're just looking at themselves. But what he's saying there is the belly, the appetites, they worship a God. And though they may say they worship the same God that you do, they actually worship themselves. They worship their own appetites. These are fleshly appetites. Uh, Ferguson uh, explained it that their worship is both downwards and inwards. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my desires, my cravings, my appetites. What do you want? We see that today in the church. What do you want in a church? Do you like the music to be this way? Do you want the preaching to be this long? Do you want the the, the feel to be more concerty or more like a nightclub? Do you want what do you want? What, What what do you desire? That's their God. That's what they worship. Again, that way leads to destruction. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 16 of these types of people, such, uh, Romans 16-18, such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Don't be fooled. Notice thirdly that there, he talks about their glory. That which they are proud of. That's what they are most, most uh, proud of. They're boasting and their glory is in their shame. What should be ashamed of, they are proud of. 
They've got the roles reversed. They've got their priorities mixed up. And they glory in that which is their shame. Fourthly, finally, their, their thinking. Their minds are set on earthly things. Not of heavenly things. Not of spiritual things, but of earthly things. Now, he's not necessarily saying they're worried about how they're going to pay their car payment or how they're going to get their kids into college. But on earthly things, things that don't matter. Things that don't last. It's one thing to think about retirement. It's another thing to live for it. That's the most important thing in your life. It's one thing to think about getting a a, a nice house. It's another thing to live for that. And so that's what Paul is getting after. Their thinking, their mindset is, is focused on earthly things. Living for the here and the now because there's nothing else in their point of view. But notice what Paul says. We have, uh, Paul takes all of this and says, but that's not you. You're not like these people, so why would you follow these people? You're different in every way. Look at, he says in verse number 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Philippians, you're different in every way from these people. So don't follow them. Don't, fool, don't be fooled by them. Notice, we'll go back through this list again. Their destination, they're headed for destruction. What is the Christian's destination there? He says, we're citizens of heaven. Which means... We're headed towards that direction. We're not headed here. We're not headed for hell. We're headed for heaven. We're headed for the the glorious city of God. We sing sometimes, we're marching to Zion, the beautiful city of God. We are. We are headed that direction because that's where we belong. This world is not our home. We're just passing through because our citizenship is in heaven. Notice then also our destination in verse 21 is transformation and glorification. We have something better to look forward to than these other people who have destruction. We have transformation. We have glorification awaiting us. Notice that they worship their bellies. Paul said earlier in verse number 3 that we, the true circumcision, worship God in the Spirit. We worship the one true God, the Creator God. We do not worship inwards and downwards. We worship outwards and upwards. Our God is outside of us and higher than us. The passage we read in Isaiah where God says, My ways are higher than your ways. And the true believer recognizes that his God is not himself. His God is not within him, meaning that he is the God of himself. Now, the scriptures teach us that our God is within us, but it's not us. Our God came to dwell within us as his, as his temple. So let me just ask there, as we, as we consider this question, uh, uh, an important thing to ask, on a, on, maybe on a regular basis here, what future is there in the object of your worship? What are you worshiping? What is the future in it? Because if your God is yourself, you are headed for destruction. Your God will be destroyed by the one true God. If your God is the God who created all that there is, the one who is holy, 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 you have a very different end 
if your God, the one you worship, is in heaven today, He is not you. He is not changing. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. The future is much brighter. Notice then the glory. These people glory in their shame, but what do you glory in? We are eagerly waiting for Christ to transform our humble bodies to be like His glorious One. We are waiting for glorification. We are waiting for... Well, one uh, Ferguson again, so helpful in this chapter. He says, the false teachers' glorying is in their shame. By contrast, Christians look forward to all that is shameful giving way to glory. It's in complete reverse. The, the, the unbeliever's glory and that which is their shame. We, the people of God, look forward to what all of our shame giving way to glory. When we wait, as he says there, we, we, God will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. It's the glory of Christ. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Finally, our thinking. What are we thinking about? Well, they're thinking about earthly things. We are eagerly waiting for a Savior. We're thinking about the day to come. We're thinking about what, what is often referred to as Judgment Day. For we know that Judgment Day is Homecoming Day. When we finally arrive home. When our Savior appears. When our Savior transforms our lowly body to be like His glorious body. That's what we're thinking of. That's what our minds are set toward. That's what's guiding our lives now. What is ahead? You might be thinking about retirement. It's a good idea to plan for retirement. You might be thinking about college. You might be thinking about uh, how you pay the bills and what's going to happen next year and what's going to happen in our country. But that's not what's driving us. We're thinking about much further down the road. We're thinking beyond time. We're thinking to eternity. When our Savior transforms us to be like Him. So Paul says here, don't, don't imitate these guys. Don't listen to them because they're, they're totally different than you. If you're not like them, then don't follow them. Because if you follow them, you're going to end up like them. If you follow them, you're going to end up thinking like them. If you follow them, you're going to start celebrating and glorying in the things that they celebrate and glory in. You're not like them, so don't follow them. Don't copy them. They belong to a different people. They belong to a different city. They worship a different God, and they're headed for destruction. Don't be fooled by them. Now notice what he says there and how we can not be fooled by them. Notice that they are enemies of the cross. So one way that we can find out what, what, what they, who they are, if they are enemies or not, is what do they say about the cross? What do, they, what do they have to say about the cross of Christ? Well, what is the cross of Christ? What does that stand for? Well, the cross of Christ is not just something we hang around our neck. It's a piece of jewelry. The cross of Christ is the picture of of the just judgment of God on sin. The cross is God's hatred and wrath against sin. That's what it symbolizes. Is that what they're saying about the cross? These people that we are considering following? These people whose example we are considering to imitate? If they don't say these things about the cross, they might be enemies. But the cross is also where God's mercy was displayed. 
not just His wrath, but His mercy. Because we did not hang on that cross. The Son of God hung on the cross in our place. The cross is the message that Christ's death is the only means of forgiveness. Is that what they say about the cross? But let's take it further because Paul's not necessarily interested in what they say, is he? Look at what he says there uh, in verse number um, uh, verse number uh, 18 there. Uh, they do not, does not say that they talk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They walk as enemies of the cross. They live. It's not necessarily what they say that Paul is after here. He says, look at what they do because that betrays what they think. And what they say won't matter when what they do is manifested. Don't just listen to them. Watch them and see how they fall. Identify them by their walk, not just by their doctrine. So if we look at their behavior, do they live by what they teach? If someone does not live by what they teach, then do not follow them. How about their worship? Do they live by sensual desires? Not just, oh yes, I love Jesus. I worship Jesus. Oh, I love to sing those songs about the love of God. How do they live? How do they live in response to the love of God or the cross of Christ or the wrath of God or whatever? How are they living? Paul says in, to Titus, Titus 2.11, that true Christians, uh, he says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. True saving grace teaches you to say no to yourself. To say no to your desires and no to your appetites. And yes to God. And yes to righteousness. And yes to obedience. Not lawlessness. So how are they living? What are they focused on? Are they focused on treasures on earth? Or treasures in heaven? How do they live because of the cross? This mindset is also connected with killing sin in our lives. This is important here. Because there's a lot of people who can say, alright, I accept Jesus as my Lord. And I'm going to go to heaven one day. But they don't really understand what it means to that Jesus is Lord. That's just like Jesus' name, His nickname, right? No, that's the position that He has. And if Jesus is the Lord, then you are the subject. and You must follow His will. And this kind of thinking is connected with killing sin. Listen to, you can look at this later and, and, and consider it longer, but in Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes this, uh, that if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Well, that's the complete opposite of what these guys do, huh? Their mind is set on worldly things. And Paul says, no, if you're raised with Christ, then set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Kill it. John Owen, the Puritan, famously said, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. 
It's all about a mindset. How you think affects how you live, and how you live reveals how you think. So, firstly, and the second two are, are much, much quicker if you're worried about how long the first one took. Why are good Christian examples important? Firstly, because bad ones are dangerous. Bad ones are dangerous. And so based on this ground, Paul has two inferences. Paul has two therefores, two becauses. First of all, you need good Christian, because of this, because there are bad examples out there, find and follow the good ones. Find and follow the good ones. Look back at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, imitate me, follow me, because I'm following Christ. But also, pay attention to other people who are living the same way. And notice he doesn't say pay attention to people who talk the same. He says pay attention to people who walk the same. We're watching how they live. Because there are those who only have the talk. What examples then are you following? Let me ask you that. And honestly answer that question in your mind. Whose example are you following? Because you are following someone's example. Someone or someones are influencing you. I don't care who you are, how old you are, how smart you are, how long you've been a Christian. Someone is influencing you. Whose example are you following? It's not if you're following an example, it's which one are you. Today, we have a completed Scripture, unlike the Philippian church, yet we still need good Christian examples because there remain bad ones today. The writer to the Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 13.7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Secondly, because of this, this presence of really bad examples out there, people who will lead you to death and destruction, be a good example. Don't just find and follow them, but be one yourself. And that's where he gets into chapter 4. Therefore, my, beloved, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Don't leave this. Firmly committed to the truth. So let me ask, just by way of question again, what example are you setting? For you are indeed setting an example. No one's following me. Yes, they are. Someone. If you're a parent, some little ones are watching you. And they are copying you. Isn't it, isn't it uh, kind of frustrating when they copy our bad habits a lot faster and easier than our good ones? They copy us. They walk like us, they talk like us, they think like us. What kind of an example, Dad, are you setting for your little kids? Mom, what kind of an example are you leaving? What, what example are you leaving for the, those who are sitting in this room? Because there are people that are watching you right now. Many have told me, so-and-so is someone I look up to. And I'm almost sure that that person that's being watched has no idea who's watching them. Someone is watching. And someone is thinking about copying your example. What kind of an example are you setting? 
Why are good Christian examples so important? Because there are a lot of bad ones out there. And secondly, because good ones are helpful and very necessary. Let me finish just by asking you some questions to consider. I'll repeat again what I, what I said earlier. What is the future and the object of your worship? What God are you serving? Whose example do you follow? Could you list them? Could you point to the people and say, these are the people I'm following? It might take some real serious thought and say, you know, these are the people that influence me. It might be people you don't even know them personally, but you follow them on social media. You watch them in the movies. You work among them. They're next door neighbors. Ideally, they're brothers and sisters within the church. Whose example are you following? Secondly and lastly, maybe most important, what example are you leaving? Could your walk be imitated? I know that that probably the answer is yes, so let's rephrase that. Should your walk be imitated? Should someone make you their pattern for godliness? And if you cannot answer that question in the positive, then you need to pray that God will do a work in you and make you like Christ so that others who are watching may safely follow the example you're leaving because you are leaving an example. Know for sure. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your words. Sometimes Your words inspire us and encourage us. They are like balm, healing balm. And other times they cut deep like a knife. They remind us of unpleasant truths. They show us like a mirror that those areas in which we are greatly lacking. I think all of us would honestly admit we are not like Jesus. But when we are confronted in specific ways, those are uncomfortable and inconvenient truths. Lord, we need to be reminded of these so that we might do the work necessary. Lord, there may be some in the room who have been following poor examples. I know we're all susceptible to being deceived, following after people who sound good but just fail to meet the test. Fail to pass the test of living what they preach. Of course, none of us are going to live what we... We're all trying to be Christians. We're all trying to be like Jesus, and we're not. And so, in that way, we're failing. But we are repentant sinners. We are striving against our sin. We have not rolled over and given in. We have others around us watching us help us to be that good example. I pray for mothers and fathers to set an example of godliness in their home with patience, with meekness, with endurance. 
May they teach their children, not just in their words, but by their actions, the importance of Bible reading, prayer, humility, love, kindness. May the fruit of the Spirit be manifested in each one of us so that we might set an example for those coming behind us so that we might leave an example for those whose faith, our faith, they can follow. Lord, may people come to see the truth of the God who, who lives, the God who reigns, as we joyfully submit every day to your rule and to your reign. May the the confession that Jesus is Lord be present on our lips, but may it be evident and obvious in our lives. We pray in His name. Amen.